Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I mean, the presence of the Lord is really what makes the difference wherever we're at. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I value the presence of the Lord. It was so good last night. You responded so well. If you help me again tonight, we'll still be able to declare and unpack some stuff and just uh, preach a little bit tonight. But I want to open my Bible. I'm going to get straight in the Word tonight. Uh, I want to go, first of all, to uh, the book of St. John, chapter number 20. If we can open there, uh, we really begin to introduce some things last night about uh, transitioning from literally from the ministry of John the Baptist, which really was a type of the old covenant, and uh, transitioning into the kingdom, into a new form of government. I want to talk about, if I think tonight, I want to talk about uh, life in the context of sonship, what it means to live life in the context of sonship. I don't know if we realize sometimes how much of a shift it was for the mind of the Hebrew that was in this particular time set to slide, or not to slide, but to ship literally from a mentality that was almost afraid to use the name of God for fear that they would take the name of the Lord in vain. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, let me say this because a lot of people don't know this. We have actually had a caller today that was saying some things about this, and Jason and I were discussing it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are in the New Testament but they are still in the Old Covenant. Because the sacrifice of Calvary had not yet been fully given. But even through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the reason some of these writers will interchange terms like the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven was because many of them were fearful to even use the name of God so they would interchange it and make uh, the kingdom of heaven synonymous with the kingdom of God. So how I many when you see the kingdom of God in one, one of the gospels and you see kingdom of heaven in the other, it's not a different location. It's just one's the source and one's where it's from. Come on. Yeah, hallelujah. So how many know that the kingdom of God... Let me say this to you, the kingdom of God to me uh, is not just a future place we go when we die. Uh, I do believe that there is a heaven. Let me just say that because sometimes when you preach the present reality of the kingdom of God, people don't believe that maybe you believe that there's a heaven. I do believe there's a heaven. Uh, I just don't want to go there tonight. And I've told you here before, you know, because I've shared it all over the country, we had an old apostle friend would always get up behind the service sometimes where they're just singing about, you know, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing. And he would say, how many of you want to go to heaven tonight? And people would raise their hand, and he said, Lord, kill them all. Kill them right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> and everybody's hand would come down because they want to go to heaven. They just don't want to go tonight. Come on, somebody. Now, I do believe there is a heaven. I do believe there is a there. But I also believe that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus uh, began to teach concerning the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it was not as if it were some distant place. He would say, it is like. And then he would compare it to things in this dimension, not to things in that dimension. So that when you got born again, how many know the moment you got born again, according to the scriptures, you were translated out of the kingdom of darkness? and into the kingdom of his dear son. How I many know you you got a new citizenship the moment you received Jesus into your life? Come on, somebody. And then the writer, you know, and Jesus would say things like this. He would say the kingdom, he said to the disciples, for instance, on the night before his decease, right before he would be crucified, he gave them a cup to drink, and he said to them, 
I will not drink wine again with you until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I pay close attention to details. But how many know in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost fell, they got drunk. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Not as you suppose, but they did have a Holy Ghost buzz on. Now, ain't nothing, come on, ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. Because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. Hallelujah. And I know some of you thinking, well, Lord, I just never get crazy like some of those other folks I've seen get, uh, you know, get, you know, I guess you call whacked on the Holy Ghost. I don't know. But hallelujah. God probably just took that as a personal challenge. You said you're not going to. Hallelujah. Because there's a lot of stuff I didn't think I'd do either. But you get under the influence of the Holy Ghost, you do a lot of stuff you didn't think you could do. Hallelujah. So I appreciate the Holy Ghost, but how many know that when the Holy Ghost fell, they got drunk, as not as usual, but they did get drunk on the new wine of the Holy Spirit. So the new wine that Jesus spoke of the night before his decease, when he said, I won't drink wine again until I drink anew with you in my Father's kingdom. How many know he popped a cork on a vintage of wine, never been drunk before, and the kingdom came because the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy, and it's located in the Holy Ghost. So how many know that's kingdom? Come on, so that's kingdom, that's kingdom right now. I think that the bad thing is when people hear you talk about the kingdom of God, they think that you don't believe there's any future fulfillment of the kingdom of God. But really, to me, the kingdom of God is Jesus taught like this. It's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. In other words, once you get leaven in the lump, it's impossible to get it out. It's going to stay there until it affects everything it touches. Now, how many know if you've got the kingdom of God in you, you are infectious? You know, once you get the kingdom in, everywhere you go, you're a game changer. Something happens when you walk in the room. Something happens in families. When God sets a solitary in the family, somebody gets born again, it changes everything because the kingdom just got introduced and it may not look like it's effective at all. Hallelujah. But it's working somewhere. You know, I, I'm from West Virginia. It's good, by the way, it's good to be in Princeton, West Virginia, Cornerstone Family Church with this great church, Pastor Scott, Susie Catron. And I'm from West Virginia, so I'm in my home state. But I'm a country boy, and my, my mama, when we, were, when we were growing up, my mama would take, uh, because there were seven of us, she would take a 25-pound bag of Robin Hood flour and bake bread twice a week because when you had that many kids, it took an awful lot of bread. But sometimes before she would bake that bread, she, I'm about to get slobbery right now. She'd, get, she'd, she'd take some, before that bread would raise, she'd put leaven in it, she'd work it, she'd eat it. How I many know you could get the leaven in it and you'll never see the leaven again? You'll never know it's in there. But that stuff starts to swell up. It would start as a small lump of dough before you know it's running over the pan. But before she would do this, sometimes she would take a, a piece of that and she would tear that bread off, that raw dough, and she would throw it in a hot skillet of grease and fry that bad boy. Now, we, I don't know what y'all call that. We call that hoe cakes. I saw at a fancy restaurant the other day, they're frying biscuits like that. I'm thinking my mom had the corner on that a long time ago. And let me tell you something, you fry that bad boy and, and uh, you know, you put some butter on all the nooks and crannies and some apple butter or some strawberry jelly on that dude and hallelujah, it, it'll make your tongue want to slap your brains out. But you got to know how to eat hoe cakes. You cannot eat hoe cakes till you're full. Because if you eat them till you're full, they're going to start to grow inside of you. 
You go down and lay down and take a nap. You talk about a stick to your ribs type of a meal. Well, that leaven starts to work. Come on, it starts to stretch you. You say, why are you telling us that story? Because some of you have swallowed just enough kingdom to be comfortable, but it's about to stretch you. It's about, come on, some, come on. We, we, we've introduced just enough kingdom into the planet for folk to be comfortable. But I'm telling you, it's about to swell up out of the containers. It's about to run over out of our local churches. It's about to spill over, come on, at Applebee's. It's about, it's about come on, it's about to run over at Walmart. I saw last night on my Facebook, one of my friends, friends had posted a picture or had posted a video where a girl was in Applebee's last night and got healed of deafness. From, I believe it was either blindness or deafness from her birth she was deaf and got healed at Applebee's that's what I'm talking about running over come on and getting outside the box that's the kingdom expanding how many of we are here come on Jesus came to preach the gospel of the kingdom it is the expanding of God's reign the expanding of God's rule the expanding of God's dominion in the earth and I don't know about you but I believe the more it fills the earth the more people are going to be touched and delivered and set free by the power of God hallelujah you're a vehicle for that. I, I better get my text read or I won't be here. I won't get done tonight. Uh, John 20. The Lord began to uh, drop this in my spirit. Actually, when I was in the West Indies. And, and there's so much here because this is really... This is really the story of the resurrection of Jesus, but I want to, I'm going to cut through a lot of stuff because if I start on one aspect of it, I'll be here all night on the details of everything that he did in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But in John chapter 20, in verse number 17, well, let's start in verse number 16. It said, Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren, and so to them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father. Say this with me. I ascend unto, unto my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Hallelujah. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and he had spoken these things unto her. Now the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he said so, when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my father Watch this, as my Father, say this with me, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said thus, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sin you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sin you retain, they are retained. You know, I, uh, several times Jesus gave the Great Commission. He would say to the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils freely you have received, freely give. And they would ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom back to Israel? And he would say, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that's given into the Father's hands. And then he would say, and as you go, preach and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead. 
cast out devils, freely you receive, freely give. And they say, Lord, are you going to, at this time, restore the kingdom back to Israel? He'd say, uh, and as you go, <laughs> but the last time he gave the great commission is right before he ascended. It's in Acts chapter 1, I believe it is, and he's about to be taken up and received out of their sight. And he said to them, uh, he gave them the great commission one more time because he's about to be received out of their sight. This is after his resurrection. And, they, and he says to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. He tells them, go first to Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to the uttermost part of the world. And they looked at him and they said, uh, Lord, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom back to Israel? And this is what he says. But you will receive power after the Holy Ghost comes on you. And you will be witnesses to me in Judea and in Jerusalem and the uttermost part of the world. Now, how many know what he's doing is answering their question? He said, when will the kingdom come? I mean, they were asking him that earlier. But when, they, when he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the Are you going to restore the kingdom? And he looks at them and says, but you will receive power. In other words, what he's saying is, this is really not about a time or a date. Hallelujah. You all quiet today. This is really not about a time or a date in history. What I'm saying to you is, you're going to receive power. In other words, you are going to become kingdom distribution centers. Can I say it that way? Rather than kingdom consumers. Because the Holy Ghost, when the Holy Ghost comes, how I many know the Holy Ghost, the kingdom is in the Holy Ghost. So when you go, he said, what he's virtually saying is, I'm not going to restore the kingdom back to Israel in the sense that you think I am. I'm going to do it all right, but I'm going to do it in and through a people. I'm not going to wave a magic wand. What he's saying is, you will receive power, and you will be witnesses unto me, and you will, come on, become the leaven that goes everywhere and touches people's lives and changes the course of human history. I believe the people of God are the answer to what's going on right now in our world. We are either going to be problem-oriented or we're going to be answer-oriented. We're either going to talk about how bad it is or we're going to get up off of our couch, come on, and stop being a couch potato and do something to change the course of history. I believe we got the goods. I wish you'd touch your neighbor and tell him you got the goods tonight. Because one of the parables Jesus gave was when he got ready to leave, he said he delivered to his servants the goods. And after a while, he's going to come back and say, what would you do with the goods? I mean, he gave us the goods. Hallelujah. I believe the next two services we're going to unpack some stuff that's going to help to empower you to be able to just kind of make some steps that you haven't been able to make before. Now, one of the great things that grabbed my heart is what I was hearing this when I was in the West Indies of Trinidad. And the Lord began to say this to me. He said, uh, uh, when he was about to send, there's so many wonderful, powerful things that's happening here in, in this resurrection. Let me say first of you, uh, that, Ma that Mary comes down to the tomb first day of the week and she finds the stone rolled away. Now to me that powerfully pictures the fact that after the resurrection, the stone of the law that has kept us in sealed in death has been rolled away. How I many of the stone symbolizes the law? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believe. So the stone being rolled, now watch this, not so dead stinking flesh can get out and have a heyday. 
See, there's a lot of people celebrating the fact that we're not under law and that the stone has rolled away, and what they think what that means is so their dead, stinking flesh can have a heyday. I'm telling you, the stone has not been rolled away so your flesh can have a heyday. It's rolled away so that the power of resurrection that's in you can begin to come forth and manifest in another dimension. He's come to release. Come on. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will quicken your mortal body. That's more than just one of these days when you get up from the dead. That's when you roll out of bed in the morning and your feet hit the floor. The power of resurrection to walk in the glory of this glorious kingdom and the grace it takes to walk in it is coming through the power of the Holy Spirit. The one thing old covenant men and women of God did not have is they did not have the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of them. So the stone is rolled away and Mary sees Jesus standing there and he says to her, don't touch me because I have not yet ascended. And this really rang in my spirit to my God and your God. Now that, that's, that, that's pretty powerful in itself. But then he says this, I must ascend to my father and your father. And he introduces a concept about God that is not strange to us, but it was to the mind of this early Jewish reader, is that God is more than just an austere, vicious, mean, white-haired old man with a club in his hand, set on a big Victorian chair who cannot wait till you foul up. What he introduces to the world is, he is my father. 1 John chapter 1, or chapter 3, 1 John 3, verse 1, especially in the Amplified, says like, it says, Behold, what an incredible quality of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we might be called the sons of God. Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So when he begins to declare that, he's saying, Behold, what an incredible quality of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we might be called the sons of God. In other words, he's introducing the concept about God, that he's not just an austere rule, you know, uh, a rule enforcer. He is my father. Now, I'm going to tell you, that shifts me in my thinking. Because when I think about my father, you know, I was really blessed. My dad was an awesome, awesome man of God. He was the absolute real deal. Uh, hallelujah. Uh, we lost him about 18 months ago in an accident. It was a uh, tragic accident. But my dad was absolutely the real deal. And so for me to have, uh, you know, I don't have, a, I don't have a warped concept about what it means to have a good dad. But I can tell you one thing, there's a whole lot of stuff about my father in heaven, hallelujah, that when I understand my earthly father and my relationship to him and how he cared for me, can you understand how our heavenly father cares for us? See, I'm convinced that the scripture tells us, again, behold what an incredible quality of love the father has bestowed on us. One of the things that really hit me the other day was a scripture that said faith works by love. And all of a sudden, I begin to start to think, you know what, if I understand God loves me, if I understand God cares about me, if I understand how much he cares for me, if I understand a father's love towards me, then I understand that everything he's doing in my life is not just to, uh, you know, not because he's just out to, you know, punish me, but because he wants the best in my life. I mean, though, as parents, when we even when we correct our children we're not correcting them come on most of the time because it helps us 
How many know that sometimes we might do that out of our own, you know, hallelujah. But how many know that our Heavenly Father doesn't do it because He gets satisfaction from it? Yeah, matter of fact, I, I feel like I need to say this while I'm, I'm just feeling like I could rear back and teach here a little bit tonight. But uh, my son said something about, uh, we, uh, matter of fact, back some time ago on one of our programs, we were talking about uh, that, that a, a father that hates his son spares the rod. And so if you love your children, you know, you, you, you know if you don't hate your son, you, you, you give them the rod. And he, all of a sudden, he began to say to me, he said, you know, now my, my, the one that said that's 36, so it's been a long time since he's seen a rod. But he, he, all of a sudden, he said, you know what? The Lord began to drop in his heart that there was a rod out of the stem of Jesse. And so he started saying, you know what? A father that loves his son will give him the rod. And he said, you know what? I don't think that means beat him up every time you turn around. I think that means give him Jesus. I thought, what a revelation. Because Jesus in the mix, behavior change. Come on, somebody. Jesus in the mix. Come on. Hallelujah. Everything changes. How I many of we need to give him the rod? And I don't mean beat him to death. I mean give him Jesus. It is incredible to me how we want to get up and a lot of times criticize the fact that the government has taken prayer out of our schools and whatever you think about that, I don't want to get political, but the problem is, is that we can, you know, we may not have any control over what they do at the school, but the problem is we've taken it out of our homes. We need to pray with our kids before we send them on the school bus. We need to pray with our kids before they go to bed at night. We need to pray with our kids when they sit down at a meal. That's not too religious for me. That's still something that puts something in their heart that reaches. I'm talking about giving them Jesus. Because I'm telling you, the mix is uh, what we've done is we've reduced the gospel to a bunch of rules. And it's really not about a law you have to keep. It's about receiving a life that will keep you. It's about learning how to live life in the context of sonship. And, the, you know, the reality of it is, is that, you know, I think about my love for my family. I think about my love for my kids. And now I'm getting grandbabies. I've already got one, got another one on the way. They'll be here around November, December. And can I tell you one thing, man, is when you get some grandbabies, it really hallelujah is kind of like the reward for not killing your kids <laughs> hallelujah <laughs> now I'm getting some response on that one hallelujah but I'm telling you man uh, Jason's got one already that's three years matter of fact the last time we were here she had just come on the scene and so she was just like, you know, just a little, uh, you know, just doing an awe and just that's about all she could do. But she is talking and chattering now and she absolutely owns Pawpaw. <laughs> and she really owns Mama. If you want a stock tip, go buy stock at Walmart because every time we go, she gets something. <laughs> but I thought about the scripture, I believe it's in the book of Corinthians, it said the weakness of God is stronger than men. And the foolishness of God is, is wiser than men. I know there's a lot of ways you can spin that, but the truth of it is, is the Bible basically said the weakness of God is stronger than men. So that means God has to have some kind of a weakness. Well, you got quiet when I said that. And then it said the weakness of God is stronger than men. And there's a lot of ways, again, you could look at the scripture. I'm not saying I got a corner on it. I'm just trying to tell you something the Father spoke to me through it. And uh, when I began to see the weakness of God is stronger than men, I heard it in my spirit. God said, I got a stronger weakness than you got. I said, God, what are you saying? He said, man, I'm trying to tell you that I've got a weakness, and I've got a stronger weakness than you've got. I said, well, Lord, if you've got a weakness, I need to know what it is. 
And man, I didn't, it didn't take me very long to figure it out because I didn't go very far in the scripture until I saw that, you know, when God created man, he created him his likeness and his image so he could have fellowship. And the reality of it is, is God loved this child. This, God loves his family so much that he could have with one breath in the fall of Adam, with one breath, God could have with one blast from his nostrils. Blasted the entire human family and before he ever exhaled, spoke a whole new one into existence, but he did not do it. Come on, somebody. Why is that? Because God loved him. Psalm 8, David gets a hold of this. He really capitalizes on it. He said, when I consider the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the works of your fingers, and all that you have created, when I consider the vastness of this incredible universe that you have measured the waters in the palm of your hands, you know how many gallons of water are in the ocean. You know how much every mountain weighs because you weighed them in a scale. How I many of that's a real big God? But David said, when I consider all that, what is man that you're mindful of him? Another translation says, what is man that your mind is full of him? Another translation says, what is man that you're possessed with him? Come on, somebody. And all of a sudden, I begin to hear what David was saying. I'll tell you what the weakness of God is. The weakness of God is his kids. I wish you'd touch somebody and tell them, God's got a weakness for me tonight. Hallelujah. God cares about me. I'm one of his children. Come on, somebody. God don't have favorites. God don't have specials. He don't have respective persons. God loves his kids, and he's got a weakness for them. So much so that see there's nothing in me that would make me want to run out here on interstate 77 and throw myself in the line of a speeding truck but you let one of my kids or my grandbaby be out there and I would throw myself in the line of a speeding truck if I could save them from the tragedy or from the catastrophe that was ahead of them and can I tell you God so loved us so much that he wrapped himself in human flesh and said come on I came and cast myself in the line of the Destruction that belonged to the human family because I love you this much. This much. Hallelujah. And he stretched his arms out and showed us how much he cared for us. And then I hear things in my spirit like this. If God, who spared not his only son, but freely gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? If that love don't produce faith. See, faith works by love. Our problem is I don't think God loves me enough. I think we've always been told he's mad at us. Come on, somebody. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. Uh, he may not be in agreement with everything you're doing in your life. And what he will do is he will bring correction so you stop destroying yourself. But he will add the rod, all right. Uh, and if you allow him, he'll put Jesus right smack dab in the middle of your life. Uh, he'll put you right in the middle. Come on. And fill you with the Holy Ghost because he knows then it's not by your might or by your power, but by his spirit that produces it in us. See, the old covenant was a bunch of rules that have to a bankrupt humanity that demanded everything and delivered nothing. But the new covenant is a God who gives you everything and really expects nothing in return. See, this is our mission. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? You want to know what it is? It's to simply receive the unconditional love of God and then give it away to the next person you meet. That's it. I don't know what God wants me to do in my life. He wants you to receive the... Uh, come on. Hallelujah. The unconditional love of a father and then give it away to the next person you meet. That's it. Hallelujah. 
And then I saw, begin to see something. I'm not getting very far tonight, but I'm going to, I'm going to really dig in here and set the plow go a little deeper here just a moment. I was telling Scott the last time, I don't know if I was here, I mentioned this or not, but then I began to discover some things about father's love, even with my grandbaby, because I had this, you know, I seen this, I saw this pink Barbie car in Costco. And I said to my wife, look at that. And she said, it's a little bit expensive, isn't it? I said, you wouldn't want her to have a cheap one, would you? For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.